Shalom, this is Reverend John Ferret, and before we jump into the new podcast on Genesis, I think it's important to tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing in the way I'm doing it. Now, today. Well, a couple things. One of the reasons why I'm doing this is that I find over and over again that study after study by the Christian man who does a number of these things, Barna, uh, he, these studies are showing us we're losing the battle. One study shows that the majority of pastors have no Christian worldview. It talks about the fact of the millennials. Those people, the, the, that age group, is, is, is leaving the church. They're trying to find a church that makes sense, that speaks to the conditions of today, that most of the young, ages from 30 down to elementary, they have no Bible understanding. The Bible to them is just a myth. It, it's not even something that they rely on. It's just another religious book. Study after study by Barna shows that the church is assimilating into the evil, immoral, secular, and ungodly culture today. So that's one reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. To teach the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and putting the Bible in its historical perspective, its historical context, to show the amazing truth of God's word like no other historical document at all. A second thing, and a second reason why I do what I do, is Hasatan, that's the Hebrew, which means the adversary. That's not Satan's name. Satan doesn't even have a name. What he is is the adversary, Hasatan. He's the father of lies. Aviv Shel Shekarim, the father of lies. And he's using the media today to spread his truth. And his truth is anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-Christ. You remember Dan Brown? He was the author of the Da Vinci Code. In his own words, you can look this up. He said that Jesus isn't God, that this is all made up. In other words... The Bible doesn't say that Jesus is God. The early disciples of Jesus, they didn't believe that Jesus is God. It, this finally comes to, you might say, fruition in the church in 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea. He said Constantine made it up. Nobody believed this prior to 325 AD. And he puts this in his book, The Da Vinci Code. I had people asking me about this book. They were worried about relatives and friends who believed what was in this novel. And Dan Brown purposely put what he thought was history in his book. He claimed to be a Christian. He was no Christian. Now, this book came out in 2003. And as I mentioned, Dan Brown, in his own words, in lectures... I believe there's some YouTube videos of him discussing this, of the uh, history that disproves many of the claims of Christianity. 
So he said, the first time Jesus is declared God is 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea. But in 2005, an amazing archaeological find happened near the ancient city of Megiddo in northern Israel. There was an Israeli prison called the Megiddo prison, and they were doing some construction work. And in their construction work, they found the remains of a very early, early Christian gathering place. Could be a church. And one of the things that they found in their work was the, uh, the preserved mosaic floor, probably dated to 230 AD. 230 AD. There was an altar there that was dedicated, and it was dedicated in the name of, and here's the exact phrase from the Greek, God, Jesus Christ. 230 AD, archaeology says that the Christians then believed that Jesus was God. A hundred years before the Council of Nicaea. Totally negates Dan Brown's silliness and his claims. I don't even want to determine him as a pseudo-scholar. And, and, and that few, I mean few, very few Christians and I'm including Messianics as well, even knew this. They didn't even know how to combat it. Once again, there's a neglect of real archaeology, real Bible history. It's, it's devoid in so many churches. Nobody teaches the Bible in its historical context. It's like 1 Corinthians 15, 29, where you read about baptized for the dead. I'm in awe at the silliness associated with this verse that I have heard from the pulpit. It's so easily understood. If you realize Paul is a devout, pharisaic Jew, he's a Torah scholar, and baptized for the dead, if you take a look at the Greek and really try to understand it, it means the dead are washed, the dead are cleansed. That's what Jewish people do Two people who die, they're washed their bodies before they're buried to prepare them for resurrection. This was done before Jesus' day. So light a menorah podcast, you guys, on the Torah, they're for you. They're for Christians. And putting the Bible in its historical context to see how Jesus is witnessed to, testified of, in the Torah, as he said in John 5.39, all scripture testifies of me. Again and again, it shows the veracity of his word, the truthfulness, the credibility, the trustworthiness of God's word. The Bible, an historical document that's inspired by God. And it's so needed in these times that it seems as if we're experiencing, it seems as if we're experiencing the birth pangs before the day of coming of the Messiah. So in these days of evil and disorder and ungodliness and secularism, relativism, relativism which says your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. In other words, there is no truth. We need the source of truth as it's in John 8, 31 through 32. Jesus is talking to a bunch of Jews who believed him and said, listen, if you abide in my word or continue in my word, and that Greek word going to the Hebrew, Jesus is speaking in Hebrew, 
basically means if you live your life relying on my word, if you live your life integrating my word in every facet of your life, if you trust in my word and my promises, not at the, the Biden continue really hides the deeper aspect of what's going on. Then you'll be disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So this is why I do what I do. And what I teach is not for everyone. Not for not everyone can deal with the truth because not everyone can actually accept the fact that many of the things that they believe in and hold to are tradition and man-made opinion. So we finally come to lesson 68 in Genesis. And we're going to continue to study the amazing event when Jacob had that dream about a ladder. So we're focusing in on Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22. And in this lesson, we come to verse 20. Jacob's talking to himself, and he says, If God does X, and if God does Y, then... God will be my God. <laughs> so if God does X and if God does Y, then God, you'll be my God. Is Jacob playing? Let's make a deal. Now, the interesting thing is we put this talking to himself in context and it's right after a dream. Do you have have you have have you had a dream? Sure you had dreams. Are all dreams hidden messages? As our internal spirit trying to communicate to us? Or is it just the fact that we've got an upset stomach? Dreams are common to human experiences. We all have them. Now, how is all this related to Jacob making a deal with God? Or perhaps, let's study Jacob not as a Bible superhero, but as an everyday man just like one of us, just like you and me. When we realize that Jacob, his mom, Rebecca, his dad, Isaac, his grandfather, Abraham, all of these are just everyday people and they're meeting the God of the universe. We begin to look at these things and things begin to make sense. And it, it, we're, it's able to relate to us now, today. As we live in these days of upheaval and turmoil and evil, as we live in the days of the possible birth pangs before the return of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. So come, let's go study. I'm in uh, Genesis 28.13. And in Genesis 28.13, reading from the Fox translation, it says, And here Yahweh was standing over against him. He said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Yitzhak. The land on which you lie, 
I give to you and to your seed. So with your different translations out there, for instance, in the New American Standard, in verse 13, it says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. Well, it's very interesting because that means, according to some people, that Israel has inherited the entire world. Now, let me explain. The word there in Genesis 28:13 is edits. It's the same word that you will find in Genesis chapter 7, where it says, and in a number of different places in Genesis chapter 7, the flood covered the whole world. So if that's the case, and we're using the same Hebrew word in Genesis 7, if the flood covered the whole world, and we're now using the word Eretz here in Genesis 28, 13, the Jewish people just inherited the entire earth, the whole globe, everything. That's the conclusion you have to make. Obviously, they didn't because Eretz, okay, is a Hebrew word which does not have a definition. No Hebrew words do. They all have a conceptual meaning, okay? So Eretz can mean my backyard. That's my land, okay? My backyard. Well, not all of mine because it's Robin's garden. So she's got her garden. That's not my garden, okay? Uh, I'm going up to the arrowhead to go camping. I'm going up to the land called the arrowhead, Eretz. Same word. So it could be a garden. It could be an area in Minnesota where I'm going camping. It could be the state of Montana or the state of Hawaii or Australia, a specific state. I'd say I'm going to the land of Montana, Eretz. That's not the whole world. Or Israel. So it's interesting, you will hear people say, based upon the statement that you read in Genesis chapter 7 in English, therefore it was a global flood because of the word, because it says he covered the whole earth. Sorry, that's not the Hebrew. So you cannot use that phrase in Genesis 7 to say it was a global flood. You have to use other things to actually do that. So I'm not trying to dissuade people from saying that the flood was global. I, I personally, okay, personally, my opinion, it's not. I think it was localized. Okay, that's me. Uh, and I have no problem with that because the story is still the same. But at any rate, you cannot use the word Eretz to determine whether it's a global flood or a local flood. Okay, so I just, I thought that was interesting. Okay, it was just a little, I have these nuggets all over the place, uh, little crazy things. I don't even know whether I should bring them up because I may have to do a nugget a Torah nugget class, okay, with all these little ones. Anyway, last week, to get off nuggets, we were in Genesis 28, 10 through 22, and we are talking about the dream of Jacob, and we are talking about ladders, and we are talking about gates to heaven, and angels going up and down the ladder, and standing stones. And um, I said in that set of verses, I had four things that I really wanted to go after. And we already did two of them. One of them is Beit El. Remember that? And Beit El is the house of God. And you, there are many Orthodox Jews who will say that means that, okay, the event of the dream happened at the Temple Mount. Absolutely wrong. Okay? Because first of all, it says the place formerly was called Luz. We know where that is. Archaeologically, 
geographically. It's not anywhere near Jerusalem whatsoever. And remember, Beit El, Beit does not mean house. It's conceptual in meaning. It can mean a place. It can mean a tent. Imagine that, okay? It can mean a house, a dwelling place. It can mean a temple, okay? Or it can just mean somewhere. Where does God dwell? Everywhere. Okay, Beit El, where's his abode? A good way of saying it is the abode of God. Where is that? Okay, it just so happened Jacob met God there. And he said, man, this is the place of God. This is where God is. All right, he's made himself manifest to me. The other one uh, is Masaba. And remember, we talked about standing stones. And I brought my standing stone. And uh, it's maybe something that you may want to start doing for um, future generations and having all of your standing stones, your God stories. And a God story is not when you became a Christian. Okay, that's not a God story. But it's something that happened in your life and you know it's God. You, you just know it's God. Okay? But I won't go into that right now, so we did that God story. So let's continue. We've got two issues out of the way. We need to go to the third. So what I want to do is I want to go to Genesis 28, verses 12 through 16. And again, I'm reading from the Fox translation. And uh, starting in verse 12, And he dreamt, meaning Jacob, Here a ladder was set up on the earth, its top reaching the heavens, and here messengers of God were going up and down on it. I want to let you know, Fox does not use angels. Okay? Because they're not. And I think next week we'll be dealing with the concept of angels big time. So, messengers of God were going up, going up and down on it, and here Yahweh was standing over against him, and he said, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Yitzhak, the land on which you lie, I will give to you into your seed. Uh, your seed will be like the dust of the earth. You will burst forth to the sea, to the east, to the north, and to the, uh, to the Negev. All the clans of the soil will find blessing through you and through your seed. Here I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to the soil. Indeed, I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Yaakov awoke from his sleep and said, Why? Yahweh is in this place, and I, I didn't know it. He was awestruck and said, How awe-inspiring is this place? This is none other than the place of God, house of God, not the temple. Absolutely not. Geographically, it couldn't be, okay? Because of that word, formerly was called loose. Yaakov started early in the morning. He took the stone that he had set at his head and he set it up as a standing pillar, a masabah. That's where the masabah comes in and poured oil on it. And what happens is you set up a standing stone because why? It's a God story. Okay, and this is a story for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Other standing stones are forbidden because they're dealing with false gods. Anyway, what I want you to notice though is the, the thing is, and he dreamt. Jacob dreamt. He had a dream. Now, in verses 20 through 22, following here, after this dream, Yaakov vowed his vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this day that I go and will give me food to eat and a garment to wear, and if I come back in peace to my father's house, Yahweh shall be my God, be God to me. And this stone that I have set up as a standing pillar shall become the house of God. And everything that you give me, I shall tithe, tithe it to you. Okay. It sounds as if 
Jacob's making a deal. God, uh, if you do this and this and this, because just, God just said, okay, uh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to keep you safe, I'm going to bring you back to the land. And Jacob seems to be saying, if God, if you do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to do A, B, and C. That's a deal. Okay, remember, I, it, it's quid, quid pro quo, something for something, okay? And it's all a contingent on God. God's got to do stuff, not me. It's like this. Okay, God, I'll believe you. You show me. And if you show me your God, then I will do this. Now, notice what I did. I put a phrase there, okay? The phrase is, God, you do this and this. Show me. You show me that you're God. Then I will do the following, okay? I'm going to address that here in a little bit based upon a story that I heard today. Now, many rabbis are disturbed by this, okay? And they're disturbed because this guy's making a deal. But the point I want to, like, point to make to you is that Jacob's just like us. We make deals all the time. So Jacob, is no, he's no hero. He's just a typical guy. I remember Dennis Prager was teaching in an Orthodox uh, large congregation, and I mean Orthodox. So they were all wearing black, and they had the black fedora and the, the, the piots and all that type of stuff. And they were talking about the issue where Dennis Prager was speaking on the issue, why do Torah observant people suffer? In other words, why do the righteous suffer? That, that was an issue, and that's always a question whether you're Jew or Christian. And he had this question... Why do Torah-observant people suffer? The audience was totally silent. There was not even any type of response whatsoever. So Dennis was kind of surprised, and he said, all right, let me ask you another question. Do you guys, as Orthodox Torah-observant Jews, expect to be protected from disease and cancer and disasters and hurt? The whole place said, well, of course. If we do this, we expect God to give us something. That's a deal. I challenge you to go into the Torah and find where it says, if I do this and this and this, God will give me something. Protect me from cancer. Protect me from sickness. I won't. It's very interesting. However, there is a thing in, the, in Christianity today, it's called the prosperity gospel. It's making a deal with God. Okay? And you've probably seen these pastors on TV. I got a prayer. I got a prayer rag here. My prayer rag. Okay? I, you just send in $1,000 okay, to the ministry. Okay? And I'm going to send you a prayer rag. And on this prayer rag, what you do is you get that prayer rag after you get it. They, I think they all talk in that type of accent, okay? Just, you get that prayer rag, okay, and you wipe it on your face, and you send it back to me, okay? And I promise you that we're going to pray over those prayer rags, and you're going to get a new car, or you're going to get this, or you're going to get that, okay? Well, <laughs> I think you see the meaning of what they want. They got their thousand bucks, and you got a prayer rag, Okay? So if, there's, if we do A, B, and C, God will do X, Y, and Z. So boom, you get healed. It's quid pro quo. So you're getting something for something. 
Now, fascinatingly enough, I just wanted to let you know, when we actually take a look at rabbinical commentary over a couple of thousand years, they address this issue. And they say, what is the reward for doing the Torah? What is the reward for studying the Torah? What's the reward? Being able to do the Torah and studying. It's its own reward. You don't get anything special. This is God's word, his instruction. I like that, okay? It's its own reward. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 in the New American Standard. And in 721, I read. Now, here, here we go. Okay, here's deal time. Jesus' own words. Okay, Jesus is about to make a deal or tell you the deal. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Stop. Now you're ready to say, okay, not everyone who says to you, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, God, what do we need to do to get in? All right, we want to get in. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. So do the will of my Father, you're in. Okay? So there's a deal. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will then declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's fascinating to me when I take a look at that, we do the Father's will, and what is fascinating is that means we recognize God as King of kings and Lord of lords. As soon as you say, from a Jewish perspective, 2,000 years ago, if you say, I'm going to obey God, I'm going to do His will, you're recognizing that God is Lord of lords and King of kings, so what is it? what's the kingdom of heaven? Jesus never, He's not the first one to talk about it. Every Jew 2,000 years ago knew it. What is the kingdom of heaven 2,000 years ago? The rule and reign of God. So if you do the will of the Father, you're in because you recognize God as king. It's almost not even a deal. It's almost like doing the Torah is its own reward because now I'm in the kingdom. I'm in the kingdom because I recognize God is ruling and reigning. It's not a place. Okay, 2,000 years ago, not any Jew said that the kingdom of God is a place or that it's going to be set at a certain time. It was always, always was. Now, the key here is, though, this. I want to let you know, God is, Jesus is kind of setting up a quid pro quo. But he doesn't say you're going to be healed. He doesn't say you're going to get a car. He doesn't say you're going to be cured from cancer. All he said was, do my Father's will, and you've entered the kingdom of heaven. Period. That's it. We can't put anything else into God's word. We're not getting wealthy. So we enter the kingdom, and we come under the rule and reign of Adonai, and it's not a place. So it's a deep, intimate knowing, because Jesus said, I never knew you. Now, let's return our focus. Now, what's the focus? I'm Right from semester one, right from Genesis 1-1, I told you that my focus is going to be, what does the Torah say? What does the Torah not say? And we will not put words in Torah's mouth. Okay? The Torah says that Jacob had a dream. 
Jacob's like us. You have a dream. I had a dream last. Rob, Rob and I have been having. We've been sharing crazy dreams this week. We can't. I'm almost afraid to go to bed at night. Okay, not nightmares. These crazy dreams. Robin was going to be shot by President Trump. That was very interesting. <laughs> I had President Trump. I was mad at him because I was in a college that he was running. Okay, and there were students trying to break into my dorm room, and he was in my room with me. And I said, "That's it. I'm out of here." You know, I don't really like. And Trump was sitting there. Great white at the same night. Crazy. Anyway, now that's a dream. Okay. Now for Jacob, it's an awesome dream, and he he's a human being for goodness sake. And he's saying, "Wow, is that an awesome dream, or was the kosher food that I ate too spicy?" Once something's going on, do I trust the dream? Do all the Bible people just trust dreams automatically? They're human, you guys, just like us. They're not superheroes. By the way, this is the first encounter that Jacob has with God. He's never met with God before at all. His mama probably told Jacob about God. Isaac probably told Jacob about his crazy dad, Abraham, who tried to kill him. You know, But Jacob is like all ears. He's never encountered God until now. And what, how does he encounter God? In a dream. Remember Abraham? We're back in Genesis uh, 12. Right there it says God met with Abraham. How? We don't know. Okay, you can theorize all you want and you can have, I don't care what your opinions are, okay, you can speculate all you want, but that was not a dream. And Abraham left. And then on top of that, there were encounters. My goodness, three angels or three men, they were angels, the angels of the Lord. Remember they showed up and one of them was God. I mean, he actually saw a manifestation of God in front of him. Whoa. So Rebecca, she didn't have a dream. She had, you know, two boys wrestling inside her, her stomach, okay, and carrying them in her womb. And she said, what in the heck is going on? So she said, I'm going to the God of my husband, the God of Isaac, okay, the God of Abraham, and said, what, what's going on in here? And remember, God answers her. How? It wasn't a dream. Isaac? His first encounter with God is on the mountain. His dad tried to kill him. Okay? He tried to sacrifice him. And he and his dad both could not see the sacrifice. But his dad, Abraham, said, don't worry, God will show us. The whole idea of seeing that, if you remember that lesson way back when. So these guys actually had that encounter. But the thing is, Jacob, his first encounter is a dream. Now he's blown away. And it seems like he's rationalizing. Whoa, this is an amazing dream. And it's like, God, if this is true, if you're real and you're going to do all this stuff, I mean, it's a dream. He's He's talking to God, but remember, this is a dream. And he said, now, the way you read it, then you will be my God and then this stone will be the house of God. But again, it's a dream. So I want to give, based upon, obviously, study from other scholars, not my opinion, but a real, sound, alternative perspective on this entire situation. And the alternative perspective I want to give you, he was not making a deal with God. Because it's a dream. 
Now, just to give you perspective, I don't have my JPS Torah commentary here tonight, but Nahum Sarna goes in there, and he goes in detail that the Orthodox have actually said, well, we know what's happening here. I, I just love the Orthodox, okay? They said, we know what's going on here. We have God in a dream speaking to Jacob, and then Jacob making a deal. You can't make a deal with God. See, that, that is, I don't want to make a deal with God. That doesn't make any sense. This is God? Hello? So they said, Moses made a mistake. In actuality, Jacob and his words came first, and the dream came second. Therefore, he wasn't making a deal. Seriously, that's what they believed, and that's their commentary. And so therefore, they're happy, and they go on. I'm sorry, the Torah doesn't say that. We've got the Torah. We've got it exactly that the dream's first and the deal is second, or at least Jacob talking to God is second. So, because again, making a deal with God is, is very inappropriate. Now, Jacob knows it's a dream. It's very real. It's very precise. And he's thinking, this has got to be God. Remember, God doesn't come to him then in a voice. Outside of a dream, yet, Jacob, that was me. Doesn't say it at all. He's still got the dream. He's trying to make decisions. Jacob is a man. He had other dreams. He probably had other dreams like President Trump, okay, kicking him out of his tent or something. I don't know. I mean, the crazy dreams that we had. So I'm trying to put words in Jacob's mouth, basically saying, God, if this was you, Yahweh, if this is you, and you're going to do all you said in that dream, then, now that's what your Bible says, if then, Hebrew does not have a word for then. It's up to the translator to put the then where they want it. When they go from Hebrew to English. I never knew this before. So, where do you put the then statement? It's suggested by Dennis Prager that you put it before the words, the stone will be the place of God. Now, I said house of God, but I want to put place in there. I want to emphasize the meaning of the word bait. So then the stone will be the place of God. If then, very interesting. And then I will tithe. Then I will tithe as well. The stone will be the house of God, then I will tithe. So it is up to the Hebrew translator to put the word then in. And so, therefore, we have one or two or three translators' opinions as to the if-then statement. We're relying on humans to make a decision for us. Now it's up to us to go back into Hebrew to actually understand there is no then statement. Now, so our translators put it this way. They're saying... If this is all true, then Yahweh, you will be my God. But see, there's a problem. What does Jacob say right at the beginning? He's saying, if this is you, God, then you'll be my God. But you are my God because I'm just talking to you right now. If you're not my God, why am I not talking to you? It, it, it's not, it doesn't follow. It's inconsistent. So at any rate, it is interesting because he's making this statement based upon a dream. Now, one thing, I want to show you something. There was a story that happened today. And I will protect, not mention any names to protect the innocent, but there's a pastor I know, and he told a story. And it was a real-life story. And he was telling the story when he wasn't a Christian. 
And matter of fact, I interviewed him uh, after his story to get more clarification. And he said, yep, that's right. I heard all about God. I heard about Jesus. I was told that, boy, you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and whoa, your life changed. That's all I heard. I heard this, I heard that, I was told this. That life is going to change. He got into a situation in his life where uh, there were some troubling things happening to him in his life. And so he prayed, and he told this story to Matter of fact, a number of us are here today, and he told it to us today. And he basically said, God, if all of this is true, if you're real, if you're really real, okay, that, that, can you take away these issues that I have? And one of the issues they had is, I, I think, something drug addiction or that type of stuff. Make yourself real to me. I want to know you. So it's interesting he didn't put any conditions on it. He said, I heard all about you. If this is real, you've got to help me in my life. You really do. I, I want to know you. But he never said, if you do that then, then I will. Then I will. Right? He just wants to meet God. And he wants to have this relationship. Then he said he prayed on a specific day in a specific time. And then he said everything changed on because then I met God. And he said my whole life was different after that. It wasn't that I heard stuff. I knew him. This is possibly what's going on with Jacob. But I think Jacob kind of knew God already. Why? Isaac. Why? Rebecca. Why Abraham? He's got some powerful parents and grandparents. And Sarah. So, Jacob has a God already. So it's probably better that he says, then I'll, this stone is going to be the place of God. And the key thing here, you guys, is this. Torah over and over and over again is dealing with real people and real events. And he's giving us his word. And if this is God, it's got to make sense. It really has to make sense. He's a God of love. And he's trying to communicate to us. And when he says it's a dream, why won't we accept it? And then when we understand it's a dream, why don't we personalize it for ourselves and you say, what would I do in Jacob's shoes? I think I'd probably do the same thing. Whoa. Like the, the pastor friend of mine did. Situation similar. Didn't have a dream. He heard about this stuff. Okay, People proclaiming the gospel, creepily telling about Jesus, and he's never known God. So if... He said, God, you have to show me, you have to make it real to me. So in this, Jacob is just acting like any other human being. He's not a superman. He's not a super saint. He's just like us. But the other thing is, the alternative expression here is, and that's why I'm going against a lot of the Orthodox. I think there's two people that stand on this, me and Dennis Prager. 
It's a dream. And as a dream, relate to it. Why do we go off in another way and say he's making a deal? It's a dream. So again, I thank Dennis Prager, a man that uh, I have really come to respect and admire, a devout religious Jew, and his whole life is seemingly being dedicated to the study of Torah. Took 25 years to complete his audio commentary, and it's amazing. He and he's done it for not only Jewish people who are practicing Judaism, whether they're ultra-Orthodox, even liberal. But he said this is also for Christians because Christians and Jews share the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. The, the one God, the Creator God. And Dennis Prager, in his commentary on Genesis, called the Rational Bible Genesis, he is the one that has really talked about the fact that Jacob just had a dream. And since he had a dream, a normal human reaction is, is this real? And since he had a dream, it's no big deal. Now, it's clear this dream was from God in hindsight, especially for us, because we know the rest of the story. He didn't. Now, for Jacob... So man of a man living in those days, he's had other dreams. And this one had to be truly amazing. So this regular guy, he's just like us, and he's basically saying the following. Okay, this is a dream. And if this is real, if this is real, God, and you promise all these things. <laughs> You're God, and you will be my God. He's reacting to a dream. So, in the meantime, we must go on. In the next lesson, in lesson 69, we're going to focus in on the latter in Jacob's dream. And we have to ask the question, who are the ones, the first human beings, to hear about this dream of Jacob and the latter. It's the Hebrews. It's the Hebrews coming out of Egypt. Now, they were the first ones to hear this. And in the Exodus series, in the same series, the Gospel According to Moses, Exodus, in Lesson 4, Part 2, we study the fact that the Hebrews had assimilated into the pagan Egyptian culture, especially as, as after uh, Joseph dies. They took on their gods. And they began to assimilate into the ancient Egyptian worldview. Now, I linked you to Lesson 4, Part 2 in the Exodus series so that you can study the fact that indeed the Hebrews assimilated into the culture because you need to understand that because they're the first hearers of this. Moses is writing this. And they are the first ones to actually hear about this. So how does it relate to them? Is God using perhaps something in the Egyptian culture that they understood to teach his chosen people, his elect Israel? Again, there's one focus and that's on Jacob. 
and how does he understand this? The other is, how might the first hearers of this? Because if God is inspiring his word, his Torah, his teaching, who are the first ones to receive his teaching? Jacob? No! He's not at Sinai. It's Israel. And it's amazing. Because what the Hebrews may have understood as they were coming out of Egypt is also related to us when we understand what they may have understood. Relates to us as disciples of Jesus. So, once again, here we go with the fact God's word becomes so real to us so amazing to us, so appropriate for the times we live in today. So I'm going to see you in Lesson 69. So till then, Lech be shalom, shal Yeshua, Adonenu, Mashikenu, Elohinu. Go in the shalom of Yeshua, our Lord, our Messiah, our God.